So this beautiful lady up on the Zoom is Amy Skinner. She's married to Jeremy. Um, some of you are more familiar with Jeremy than Amy, but they are both um, elders in our church, and they live in Illinois. And um, so she is a teacher, and you're going to see her do what teachers do. So Amy, have at it. All right. Thanks, Vicki. Um, again, my name is Amy Skinner, and I'm on that elder board here. Jeremy's my husband. We have three kiddos that are on right now, I'm sure, with Laurel and some other part of the house doing their kids program, which I love. And so they had asked me tonight to share something for snapshots. And to be honest, it, it really was difficult to come up with what I was going to talk about. Um, so I just went back to, you know, what, what do I find passionate about? What did, what did the Lord put in me to bring to other people? And as weird as it may sound, it's computer programming. That's, that's been my passion for as long as I can remember. So I'm just going to take you on the trip from how that started to what those look like to kind of how they're made up from. Um, and then we'll go from there and see how it, see how it looks. So we'll look back at everything, um, see how you can program. I'm assuming that you guys can see the, the slides that I'm sharing while I'm talking about this. So just making sure. Um, we'll look at some parts of the program. What are they made up of? I will show you some examples and then we'll talk about how you see any relationships to these things in your life with things that you are doing. So looking back, where did this love begin? Um, as far back as I can remember, people would always ask me, like every kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always wanted to say something impressive. Um, I was kind of that kid that wanted to be acknowledged, but wasn't going to go out of my way to be acknowledged. And so I felt like if I came up with something that sounded really smart or really difficult, then adults would be impressed by me and that would somehow fill my cup, if you will. Um, and so I liked computers, even though they weren't really around. Um, I, I was born in 1980 and so computers weren't, you know, readily available in households and stuff back then, but they always sounded interesting. So I, I started to tell people I was going to be a computer programmer. I was going to do something with computers. And so as I entered in school, again, they weren't really readily available. Um, but by the time I got to fourth grade, we did have some computers in the school. They were the old Apple IIEs. Um, if any of you remember when the Apple logo was colorful still and it had the rainbow on it. Um, we had some of those computers with just the green screen on there, but not every kid got to go and use those computers. Um, but I did learn that the kids who were pulled out for special math got to use those to help them with their math skills. So my math skills immediately plummeted um, so that I became one of those kids who got to go and play on the computers. And we would play games like Number Munchers. I don't know if any of you have ever, ever heard of it, but it was a fantastic game to my fourth grade self. You would go around and munch on the little numbers that met whatever qualification you were supposed to. It was kind of like Pac-Man meets math, if you will. Um, but my dad was a teacher in the school district that I grew up in. And he quickly found out that I was being pulled into the special math group. Um, and I 
was no longer allowed to be in the special math group. So I lost that freedom to, to go and play on the computers when I was pulled out for that math class. But that was kind of the first time that I really remember thinking, man, this is, this is cool. Like I want to do something with this. And so then going through school, we would sometimes have like a special six week program where maybe we got to do something with computers or whatnot. And I remember in eighth grade, I had a math teacher and he knew a little bit about computer programming, but it was still, we were working on those old Apple IIEs. And so it was a DOS operating system for anybody who remembers that, where there's no mouse, there's nothing really on the screen. You just have to know what to type to make things happen. Um, this was in the days of Oregon Trail, which was a lot of fun. And we would get to play that sometimes on Fridays. But he introduced me to the idea of programming within DOS. And our big project for that year or that six-week period was to build some sort of a picture on the screen. And you had to go through pixel by pixel to say which pixels you wanted turned on and what color you wanted them turned on. And so most people drew like a smiley face or a triangle or something. And I did a Christmas tree with like strands of lights on it and green and a star because a lot of people found it really tedious and I found it amazing. Um, but that's just kind of always been my personality. I would sit and do puzzles for hours. Um, it could be one of those puzzles that has a thousand pieces in it, but it didn't, it didn't matter to me. I enjoyed sitting there and, and doing that. Um, I've always enjoyed problem solving, reasoning through stuff. Um, some of you have been a part of my husband's story lately where he's uh, been able to find some of his adopted family. And that, again, was just one of those problems that I was able to help solve. And just that idea of being able to uh, be a part of it, investigate it, figure out the solution has always been exciting to me. And so computer programming is, is really a lot like that. So up through high school, I decided to go to college for computer programming. I attended a private Christian university in Illinois. And my very first class on my very first day was programming one. And I had never really programmed anything outside of that one Christmas tree um, in eighth grade. And so the professor on the first day of school said that we were going to have to turn in our homework assignments by emailing them to her. And I didn't even know how to email anybody at that point. It still wasn't that prevalent. I didn't have my own email address. Um, and she talked about all these programs we were going to make. And it was really overwhelming. I actually ended up going to the girls' bathroom after class and crying because I was like, I can't do this. I'm never going to make it through college. And what have I done? Um, but the, the semester progressed and it just continued to make sense to me. Um, everything about the way programming works just seems to make sense in my brain. And so it became a family very quickly. The computer science department at the school that I went to was um, some of the closest friends I've ever had. And it was a very small department. Um, there weren't very many girls. That was just part of, again, computer science education. It was myself and there was one other girl in the department, but it was just, it was really a lot of fun. Those were my people. We were a collective group that were seeking out these challenges and then solving them in 
watching us each succeed. It was really, really a lot of fun. And so I went ahead and did that for a time. I was a computer programmer. And then the Lord put on my heart this need to teach. And so then um, when I was 28, 29, I went back to school to be a teacher. And so now those two loves have kind of intermingled about three years ago. My school needed a computer science uh, teacher. And so I transitioned from math education to computer science. So that's kind of how all of this came about. Um, and, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention my first computer that I put on this screen there. I think I was a junior, maybe a senior in high school. And I saved up. This was back again in early 90s. I remember it was $1,200, $1,200 for like a computer that's not even as good as your phone right now. But I saved up for my job and that was the only thing that I wanted. I, my friends were buying cars and different things like that, but I was the one who wanted the computer. And so I went to Staples one afternoon with cash in my pocket and bought my first computer. So uh, next I was going to kind of transition into this idea of who can program um, and where we kind of landed on people's ability to do that. Um, I wanted to go back to the idea of literacy rates because I feel like this mirrors the idea of computer science education quite a bit. If you go back to, say, Europe, about the 1500s, literacy rates were about 11%. I looked it up. Um, they were about 11% at the time in the 1500s in Europe. And it was really because the belief was that most people couldn't read. They weren't physically capable of learning to read. Only the elite, the smartest, the richest were able to, to read. And now if you look at the literacy rates in Europe, almost every country is well into the 90s. 90% uh, of their population can read at least. Some of them are in the 99% um, can read. And really, computer science, I feel like, is the same way. We've, we've given it this idea that only certain people can program. And I don't think that that's true at all. I think it's just a matter of access to the information um, and our ability to learn those things. But really, anybody can program just like anybody can, can read. So access, though, it does play a role in what we're looking at because um, I looked up some other statistics to share with you. In 2018, 35% of high schools in the U.S. had a computer science class at all. Um, not even like a whole department or multiple classes, but a single programming class in 2018 was 35%. Moved up to 45% in 2019. And currently, just over half, 51% of schools in the U.S., have some sort of a programming class. And unfortunately, less than 15% of those schools that are rural have a computer science class. And the community that Jeremy and I live in here is a small uh, farming town in central Illinois. There's just under 5,000 people in population. And so most of the grade levels that we have at the school are between 70, excuse <coughs> me, 70 and 90 students. And so we are a pretty rural school. <clears throat> so I'm thankful that we're in such a small area and we are able to offer these things to our students. Um, not too long ago, we ran a program called 
Girls Who Code, um, which is a nationwide organization that's a, a push to provide computer science education to girls specifically, but boys can join. They have to say that it is called Girls Who Code, like I'm a member of Girls Who Code, but you can be a boy. And it's a program that was put out to increase female participation in computer science. Um, and we did do that for a while as well to help with access to computer science and things like that. Um, and so really it's not about if you can or can't, um, it's just a matter of being taught, just like being taught to read. If you're never taught to read, you're not gonna be able to. If you're never taught to program a computer, you're not gonna be able to. And so it doesn't, it doesn't rely on our ability as much as our access. Um, Steve Jobs, who was the founder of Apple, um, if you guys remember him, he has passed on now, but he is quoted very famously as saying, everybody in this country should learn to program a computer because it teaches you how to think. And that's really where I fall with all of my students. I, on the one of the very first days of class, we go over this quote and we talk about it because that's what it's going to make you do. You're going to solve a problem, but you're going to have to break it down in the most minute, smallest pieces that it might be frustrating at times, but it's going to make you really think through the situation to know whether or not it, you've solved it correctly. So um, parts of a program, how many of you have ever seen a computer program in any sense of the word? I can see your hands if you raise them. Okay, some? Good. Very good. So just looking through some parts of what it looks like, there are several different languages out there, um, just like there are several spoken languages. Kind of the difference is the languages here were just developed by somebody who wanted to make a programming language. Um, for a specific purpose, usually, there are programming language out, languages out there that are specific for software development, for web development, for smartphone apps, for database um, access, and things like that. Um, but in every case, it was just some guy, usually, um, some guy or a group of people who was like, think I'm gonna make a programming language, and then they did, and they just decided what it was going to look like um, and how it was going to operate. But they do mirror our spoken languages in some way because all our languages have nouns. Right? The nouns are different in every language, but you know that that language is going to have nouns. Now, realistically, I don't actually speak any other spoken languages. I'm assuming that they all have nouns. If there's some language out there that doesn't have nouns, feel free to tell me about it later. Um, so I'm making a little bit of a leap right there that they all have some sort of a noun, but I'm assuming they all have some sort of a noun. Um, and they all have verbs or pronouns or these things that make up the language. The ordering is a little different. Um, you know, you might not say it in the same, same tense or the same order of the sentence. But you have the idea. Once you know one language, it at least gives you a, a spring point to work off of the other. Now, the irony here also is that I took three years of Spanish in high school, and it made zero sense to me whatsoever. Like, 
speaking other spoken languages is very difficult for me. Um, and so I don't know why other programming languages aren't difficult. English was never really my thing. So that might be part of it too. Um, but they all have, you know, some similarities there. What makes up a, a program? Well, the first thing here is it has to have some sort of input and output. You have to have something that goes into it and something that comes back to you out of it. The input could be text that you type. It could be um, a sound because we have voice recognition now. Um, it could be a mouse click. It could be you know any number of things. And then the computer has to respond to that in some way. It puts something on the screen or an action happens or something along those lines. So something goes in, something comes out. It has some sort of looping or conditionals. This one right here. Looping is exactly what it sounds like. It's your ability to repeat something as many times as you need it to happen. It could be a certain number of times. It could be until a certain condition is met. It just depends on really what you're looking for. Conditionals would be your if, um, if statements. So if something is true, then do this. If something is false, do this other thing. Most programs, so not all, most programs have some sort of arithmetic operator. Some sort of math is happening in there. There's a reason that we made programs and it was to do the math for us because people didn't want to do the math anymore. And so we found computers to be really good at math. So we said, okay, let's make them the workhorse and have them do it. So a good chunk of the time, there's some sort of math in there. And then the last thing that they, they contain are these variables or data structures. Variables, well, it's a lot like math again. Um, variables are this idea that there is a value, but you don't necessarily know what it is. Um, it's an abstract way to refer to an unknown object. And we all deal with those all the time, even though we may not consider it that way, because we all have a birth date. Birth date is really just a variable because it's an unknown number that's specific to each person. We all have a height. We all have a weight. And it's this generic way that we refer to something that is true about everybody. And so I usually try to explain it, if you can imagine this cup, right? And there's a cup that's called birthday. And when we run the program, we're gonna put a value in there, but we don't know what the value is until we run the program. And so maybe we're asking the user, hey, what's your birthday? And so we have this generic thing called a birthday, but the user is going to put something specific in there. They're going to give us a value to hold on to for it. Um, other data structures that you can run into, there's lists, there's queues, there's stacks, there's various other things that I won't go too deep dive into. Um, but variables are really at the heart of programming because you have to have a way to refer to this thing that you're going to get from the user. And so once we can get over the hump of understanding what a variable is, it helps a lot. Now, these students are all in high school at this point. So they've all been through some sort of an algebra class and they're familiar with X. X is our first variable that we ever meet a long, long time ago. Some of you may have that as a little PTSD, unfortunately, back to high school algebra. Um, but it's, it's the same idea. It's this value that holds on to something and we just don't know exactly what it is. So we have a generic way of referring to it, okay? 
So just a few coding examples. Um, again, I won't get too deep into it. This isn't, I told Pastor Larry, I'm not actually going to teach you to, to code today, but we can do that some other time if people are interested in it. Um, I just took a few snips of programs that all do the same thing. And so there's four different coding languages that we'll see here, and they're each going to take and print out the numbers one through 100 for you. You're not actually going to see it. I just did a snippet of it because I didn't want to get too crazy in the um, Zoom aspect of all of this. And so you'll see the code behind what it would do. This first one here, um, Scratch is the name of the language up here. And this was developed by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And they developed this language to teach kids how to code. And so this is a drag and drop type situation. If you see these things off to the side right here, like set, change, show, in the actual language there, I can click on those and drag them into this canvas area here and they'll connect together to show them this linear idea of thought. First, this thing's gonna happen, then this thing, then this thing, then this thing. So the students aren't having to really type a lot in there so they don't get lost in typos or not having the right syntax, which is how you put the language together. They just really get to focus on the main concepts of what's happening. So with this one here, when there's a green flag over on the side that you guys can't see right now, but when we click the green flag, they're gonna create a variable that's called counter. And it's gonna start at one. And then I'm gonna repeat this little piece right here 100 times. And you can see it kind of puts some arms around the part that's gonna repeat 100 times. We're gonna say whatever value counter has for half a second, and then we're gonna increase counter by one. So the first time I go through here, counter is one. I say one for half a second, and now I've added one to counter, now it's two. So I come back up here and I say counter again, now it's two. And I print that to the screen, increase it to three, and keep going 100 times. So the whole purpose of this little program here is it's just gonna say the numbers one through 100. This is what we do in programming one, this type of language. And so these are students who have an introductory type course in computer science at our school. Um, our governor here in Illinois, which we won't get into that whole situation, but one of the positive things that he has done for Illinois uh, is he signed a law into effect that by 2027, you'll have to have a computer science class in order to graduate from high school. Um, and so really he did that for the areas don't have computer science teachers to kind of force the situation. But I love the idea idea behind it in that, you know, more students will be exposed to it. And so at the very basic level, this is kind of what we would call kid programming. If you move up a little bit, this is a language called Python. We study this in programming two, and this is going to do the exact same thing as the last program. It just isn't as fun to look at. And so this is more grown-up programming at this point. This x equals one right here is creating a variable called x and sending it to one. Just like we saw in the last program, we were just calling it counter over in that one because it's more of a kid style language. So I, I use 
words that are more meaningful to them. And then as long as X is less than or equal to 100, we'll print out that value to the screen, add one to X, and then keep going through and through and through. Part of the reason that we start with Scratch for children who are just coming into programming is because every single piece of this makes a difference. And so if I don't have that colon right there, program's not going to work. You're going to get an error message. If I don't have this equal sign, if I have like two equal signs, which does something else, program's not going to work. Every tiny little piece of it makes a difference. And so when you're writing a program that's a couple hundred lines, it can get overwhelming sometimes. And so that's why we start them with scratch so that they're not lost in all of those little pieces. They can really focus on what's happening. Uh, this is a language called Java, which again is a text-based text -based language, a little more grown up. And it is, again, doing the same thing. Even just in this little bit that we have looked at, you can see some similarities. We have a variable. We have a loop that's doing this thing. We have output that's creating it to the screen. So as you look at each of these, even though you may not understand what all of it's doing, you can catch parts of it already. Here, we're creating a variable called n. This int is saying that it's an integer. Um, and we're going to output to the screen the numbers from 1 to 100. Here's our loop that we set up. And as long as our number is less than or equal to 100 again, we're going to print that number out to the screen. And so even just within the last 10 minutes, you can pick out pieces of this and say, oh, that looks like a loop. Or, oh, I bet that's a variable. And so there's just these consistent pieces across all languages that you see. So really, the basis of computer science education is learning those pieces that make up the program. And then after you know the functionality, I tell students all the time, you can look up to see how do I write a loop in Python because you know a loop is possible in Python. You can look up to see how do I print something to the screen in Java because you know it's possible. And so once you have this kind of tool belt that you can work from, you can Google anything anymore as long as you know it exists. This last example here is shell programming, which is a lot less common. Um, but again, you can see the same idea of we have this variable for one, and this stands for less than or equal to. As long as um, our variable is less than or equal to 100, echo is how it prints out to the screen in this language. And then we increment or increase i until we're all done. So you can, you can already start to pick out those pieces. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, um, on the relationship things, is... Huh? I told Jeremy this wasn't going to be long enough, so I'm glad to know it was oh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, does anybody have any questions for Amy on this particular thing? Because uh, there are a couple of things that I kind of picked up on. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, this is just kind of my final thought. You know, we're all image bearers in some way. And so in some way, this is Christ-like. Um, so if anybody had any thoughts or ideas or saw relationships between 
what they do or some thought that they had that kind of related to this. I was just curious to hear what they had to say. Yeah, actually, that that was I, I wrote some things down because as you were talking, I, I kind of got the idea in my head. Wow, there's a um, you know, when we think about being image bearers, we, we just think about things like praying for the sick or, you know, um, those kinds of things, giving money, going to church, uh, you know, all of that. And really, the capacity, maybe I should turn this way, the capacity of God to be a creator God is um, amazing. And so, as you were talking, I kept thinking, oh my gosh, you know, Lord, there's a whole group of people out there, because I am not this, right? But there's a whole group of people out there that are that. You know, numbers come to them, science comes to them, history comes to them, and they literally have this capacity to impart part of our Creator aspects of just how big God is in this this dynamic. And so um I I appreciate what you shared. I don't does anybody have any questions or observations or anything you want to share? Yeah, I don't know which camera we're at, but uh Amy, I um you start talking about DOS at eight, eighth grade. I was in business at the time. <laughs> <laughs> trying to learn DOS, and it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was challenging, but, but uh, yeah, it was something that the company was going to, so I had, uh, and I was in charge with a lot of different numbers stuff, so then when we got Lotus, I got the, I was doing the Lotus language, and then after I d designed all this uh, elaborate uh, language to calculate all these various things that I was going through. The uh, next came out was um, Excel, and the boss says, I want you to learn Excel. After I had just finished with this fabulous program of, of Lotus, and so now I had to learn this whole another thing. But I, but I saw then that there were some familiarities in it. But my, my question is, um, does the language get difficult, or does it is it just um, just about the same thing over and over and over? I mean, do they add different, uh, I don't know, signs, uh, letters, uh, different things like that uh, as you progress? Is that anything like that? They do in some languages. This idea of, let me go back over here for just one second. Um, this idea of, on the screen here where it says x equals x plus one, um, in the languages not too far after that, they changed it to that variable and then plus plus. So it was less to have to type because it's this idea that the variable is just being incremented by one. And so when Java came out, they said, we're just going to do variable plus plus to mean that it's being incremented by one because we don't want to have to type I equals I plus one. We just want to type I plus plus. So there's that kind of shortcuts that are happening. Um, and then there's more and more libraries that other people create that you can draw from and use, even though you may not know, you know, the background of how it all works, you can still use their libraries and stuff in your programs too. Interesting. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Come on up, Tim. 
Yeah, very interesting, Amy. Uh, I, I used a little bit of the program way back when. Don't even remember which one it was. It was the very earliest one that came out. That's the one I worked with. But I was a software tester in, in NORAD, and uh, I really enjoyed that. So I'm looking for where it went, might break down, right? But one thing I was looking at your last slide, when you talked about image bearers and relationships, uh, I forget the last category, thoughts and ideas. There's one thing that's true in the programming that would be also true in, uh, in each of these categories. There's always a variable, right? <laughs> and it's usually the people that are the variables in every one of these situations. And it always comes out differently, but that variable is always there. I think, though, what do you call it when it's not a variable uh, uh, in... What is it? A constant. Constant. The constant mm -hmm. is Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, thank you. It was very good. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Thank one of the. Things, oh, I'm sorry. One of the things I leave with the students too is the computer is only as smart as the program you wrote for it. So if it didn't do what you wanted it to, it's because that's not how you designed it. So along with his. Uh, software tester. That's what the tester comes in to do to make sure that you really solve the problem the way you meant to. So I've got a question for you, Amy. Yeah. A lot of stuff God does, he shows us visuals for. So I'm curious what you think an infinite loop would be from God's perspective. Um, his love? An infinite loop. How would he show us what that is? Uh, I was just saying in his love. It's Ah, okay. it, it continues on forever and and never stops for saying explain like, to those that don't know what an infinite loop is what it is I, well it's pretty self-explanatory in the title there but it is definitely a loop that goes on forever uh the only trouble is it's going to crash your computer because it's never going to stop but i don't think it'll crash god no interesting greg and i uh greg is down on the board tonight and uh, we were talking before church and uh, one of the things he told me is that is that there's a new phone that you can charge in nine minutes and I was like blown away because I I really do believe we're getting ready for another leap in technology and so we as Christians need to be aware that this kind of thing that Amy's talking about and participating in and training people in, that there's a whole contingency of, of uh, believers who are in that realm, and there's just going to be a leap. I just, I, I, don't, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking within the next year, maybe next two years, we are going to see a leap in technology, and we're going to all go, what just happened? Because that is... There's something going on in this, I think, that God is involved in, and he wants us to be involved in it because he wants us to be the compassionate, compelling Christians that we are to navigate through this realm that we've kind of stepped back on. And um, and I'm kind of excited about that. So um, anyway... Anybody else have any questions for Amy before we bring up Adam? Fortran? Have you ever heard of Fortran? Oh, Fortran. Fortran, yeah. 
Oh, yep, yep. it was one of the first programming languages. I programmed right. in Fortran. <laughs> so, yeah? Yes, back in the 70s. <laughs> so, yeah. That was my first language. Cool. Pascal was the first language that they taught us in school. All right. So one one last comment before I go. Sure. Uh, I think go it's ahead. a fantastic presentation, Amy. I, you always amazed me, and you did this time. The thing I'm walking away from as you, especially that last uh, image-bearing connection you were making, in some way, language is the gateway to creation. Yeah. And whether it's writing or verbal language or computer language, and then the idea of being an, an image-bearer goes with that astounding unqualified promise that jesus made because i go to be with the father those who believe in me are going to do greater works than i do but we need a language just like the original language caused creation to come into play uh, we need a language and um, i think this is just a fascinating insight into how language is the doorway probably for the fulfillment of those creative promises yeah mm -hmm. yeah thanks lair that's my husband. Um, okay, so we have Adam Smith coming up. And uh, so glad you said yes many, many months ago and are able to do it tonight. All right. Well, thank you. Well, I have to admit that the the last presentation really kind of spoke to my one half of my brain. I am a tax accountant. Um, so logic kind of makes sense, although I wouldn't necessarily say equity has a lot to do with that particular one. Um, but what, uh, what I really wanted to talk about tonight was I was going to share a little bit of my testimony and about what God's been, been teaching me and sharing with me uh, just really in the, the last six months since basically July of this year. So thank you for the time. I mean, really, I, as far as where I came from in the faith, I'm from northern Indiana. Uh, the churches I went to for years believed in Father, Son, and Holy Bible. They didn't really like to talk about the spirit much, uh, so I grew up kind of, kind of uh, estranged from that. And my my first memory of coming to uh, of faith or you know my conversion experience, if you will, was uh, at the age of three or four, after my older brother came back from church camp with the most vivid descriptions of hell that I had heard to date in my life, and I really didn't like that idea. So. I, uh, I bought the fire insurance and uh, didn't really realize until later in life you could have a relationship with Christ. Um, first heard about that in middle school, still didn't really know about the spirit dwelling inside, and learning to hear God's voice, to, to really hear him communicate directly to me, was something I always wanted but I've really struggled with. Because uh, I can look back at different points in my life, I, I am blessed, I... You know, he did wake me up at night audibly and told me to marry Cheryl or my freshman year of college because he knew I would be too much of a sissy to actually go through and ask otherwise. Uh, so I, you know, have been very blessed through that. But then the idea of hearing God wasn't something I've, I've had a lot of experience with. And I know a lot of people here are, are very familiar with this concept, but it was, it was borderline blasphemy to hear actual words from God, actual visions with where, where I came from. But so I kind of felt 
I could see God working in my life through the past several years and through my entire life, and I could see where he had actually done things. In fact, you know, my first first vision was actually in middle school. I just, you know, I shared it with my twin brother who was jealous because he didn't get a vision, so he told me that definitely wasn't God. Um, sibling rivalry is real. <laughs> so, but then later, you know, later I actually, you know, I guess Evie was, what, two or three when I fell? Uh, when I was two or three, or not when I was two or three, when Evie was two or three, uh, and she's 11 now, I fell off of a, a balcony on a second story and broke three out of four limbs and actually fell somehow against physics underneath the balcony where if I would have fallen the way physics dictates, I would have broken my spine and either been paralyzed or potentially dead. And I always thanked God for that. And years later, he showed me the vision of the angel pushing me under. Um, but it wasn't until you know this, this summer, actually at uh, Bo's encouragement, we have some members of our house church and friends here tonight, that I you know started to explore this further because I always felt kind of like uh, Lois Lane. She doesn't really know Superman and Clark Kent are the same person. It's just Superman always swoops in and saves the day. Well, I didn't want to be Lois Lane. In the, in the comics, in the comics, there actually is a character that does know Superman, and that's actually Lana Lang. She's she's the friend and confidant of this uh, Christ image. If you if you look for it in this series, and I always wanted to be that. And so, this summer, at some encouragement from from Bo and others, I started listening to my dreams and and writing those out and looking for interpretation because I figured my abnormally developed uh, left brain probably could be surpassed when I was asleep because I wouldn't be awake to doubt. And so I started to to experience this, and this was was eye-opening. And then, but looking into it, there's there's different pieces here. I've that was where where things started, and then in uh, actually July 23rd this uh, this summer, I started to do some do a journaling activity. I mean, some of you might have heard of this open-ended journaling, where you you write to God while in a very meditative place, praying, focusing on Christ, and then write what you hear back. Um, and that was, that was huge to me because he wants a, an active relationship with us. That he doesn't, uh, we don't all have to read the same static love letter that's over 2,000 years old at this point, that he can not only bring those words to life, he can speak words into our lives. Um, and so for me, Cheryl and I were both doing this and it's from a, Mark Verkler's actually a one, one teacher who teaches this idea. It's uh, called the four keys to hearing God's voice, which are stillness and quieting ourselves. And then vision, looking to Jesus, because that's, we should look to Jesus, not to our problems. You know, looking to Jesus and then spontaneity, just tuning into the flow, what he has to share. It says that we have the mind of Christ. And it says that he dwells in us and that the spirit of knowledge, the teacher lives in us. And then the part that I'd always been failing at was actually writing it down, uh, journaling in this way, because I always doubted. And so what I would do is I would, I would hear something or think I heard something, have a leading, and instantly test it. And it says that in James, it says that he who asks with doubt should expect nothing, because he's a double-minded man. He's, he's double-minded in all of his ways. And so journaling and trusting God to, to write and to hear from him 
and then to go back and to, to test it later against Scripture. These were the ways we were looking at, uh, looking at doing this. And so this has been, been life-changing for me, but really I want to just say that I would encourage anyone, no matter how logical you are, how left brain you are, how uh, emotionally constipated you might be at different points of your life, that God can actually speak to you in this way. And then the verse that this comes from I wanted to share tonight was actually uh, in Habakkuk. It's actually Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 2. It says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the journal and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. And it's, it's actually in this passage you'll see that there's the, I will stand my watch, I will be still, and I will wait. I will set myself on the rampart, watch to see what he will say. So that's the vision to looking to Christ and then the spontaneity to expect and see what he will say. And finally, the piece I was missing, writing it down. And I would actually uh, encourage this because I've what I would see in looking at this is God wants to speak with us. And what he shares isn't always going to be, I haven't had any prophecies. I have no stock tips. I don't have anything along those lines. But he is an encourager. He is a faithful faithful friend, and he loves us and can speak to us in our very own language, which for me, as a bit of a, a story nerd and, and a Marvel fan and movies and so forth, sometimes those will be quotes. And uh, one thing I'd like to, to say about this is just that something he shared with me that I want to, I think is something I'd like to share is that I don't think that my problem necessarily personally, and maybe some of others' problems is is that we don't actually have faith. I think that we have the faith of Christ. It says in Ephesians 2.8 that it is by grace through faith we have been saved. This, the gift from God, that no man may boast in works. I think my problem and the, what I struggle with is wrong faith. That we are, we are challenged and we are inherently creators. And I will create the obstacles that will self-prevent me from hearing God's voice if I believe and worship the wrong things. And I think that a spirit of expectancy and then humility can bring about just, just so much in this area. And what I've, what I've found as well is to kind of overcome my, trying to overcome my fear of being wrong, fear of being made fun of. One important thing is, is in the presence of two or three counselors, there is wisdom. So, you know, I obviously share with my wife, Cheryl, she's, She's very encouraging. I'll say that the first time that we tried listening for God's voice and writing it out, she wrote page after page after page. And I was sitting there just waiting, waiting. And finally I said, well, could you give me pictures? Can we bring it down to like the most, the most basic grade school level? I'll take kindergarten and finger paint. Just give me pictures. And he, he did meet me where I was and shared pictures and vision and I, I have to say that uh, to have a, to trust and be able to meet day after day and listen for God's voice and know that he wants to speak and that he wants to be heard is one of the most empowering and encouraging things you can have. And even what he tells you might not seem like a big deal, but if you choose to share that with someone else, that can have a major impact. 
I, I shared a couple weeks ago, I think about, or actually maybe last week, um, that we had a family member back in, in Indiana who was really struggling with feeling unaccepted by family, unloved, just telling her, God loves you and you can never disappoint Jesus. You know, this, this is, is the word he's given me for you. Do not doubt it. This is reality. Just was incredibly encouraging to her. Um, and I would say that something that I'm try, striving to learn in and want to do more with is as the group and just individually is just learn to take that step of faith and trust that w some of these leadings and intuitions within us are actually his spirit. And we can test those against scripture. We can take those to other believers. Um, I mean, if he tells you he wants you to start eating people, I don't think you're listening to God. Um, that's definitely not him. But there is, it's exciting to me to see the fruit that's been born just from spending time with him and the blessings he's given. I would say this is a season of work that my performance, I would rate myself very poorly. Um, my bosses do not agree because I think that they're listening to what Christ says about me, um, which is a blessing. And I just wanted to to share that. There's a couple verses I wanted to to share, two that have been really connected for me recently. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, and whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is any praiseworthy thing, meditate on these things. And there's a connection to that, I believe, in Corinthians 13, verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God is love, and what is he going to believe about us than what is true about his son? And he, his son, is noble, pure, and true. And just to consistently turn our thoughts back and to, to listen can be a wonderful thing. And we've actually seen the, the blessing of doing this with our children. Laurel teaches them similar things during the tonight, but I am ecstatic at the idea of the fact that my children can learn to hear God's voice and not have to doubt that and wait until years and decades and decades later to experience these things. Um, but that's really what I wanted to to share tonight, because like I said, my goal was to go, is, is to go from being Lois Lane, who, you know, if she wants to talk to, to Superman, all she has to do is jump off a building. Um, been there, done that. I, I'd very much prefer to be the friend and be Lana Lang uh, and have that chance just to, to grow in this way day to day. And it actually has helped me in my faith just to know that um, I don't have to wrestle with the contradictions that I might see with my, my left side of my brain in the Bible. I can take that to a God who is love, to a God who is real, and trust him. So that's what I wanted to share tonight. I'm open to any kind of questions, any kind of feedback. So um, I, I kind of like this. So since we're image bearers, um, hold on to your questions. Um, I would like you to kind of just still your spirit a little bit and ask the Lord to give you a picture. doesn't have to be elaborate, just, just a visual or a word, okay? 
And so if you need to close your eyes, if you need to, you know, do some breathing exercises, whatever it is, just do that for me, please. A little activation. Okay. And because I believe that God speaks, does anybody have a picture? Does anybody have a visual? Does anybody have a word? So just raise your hand and say it, do it. Meg? Saints. Okay. Tim? Copious. Okay. Anybody else? Yellow bulldozer. Okay, that's good. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Salt Lake. Lake. Okay, a lake. Hope. Okay. Swan on the lake. A unicorn charging. Okay. An egg. Okay, so <laughs> so we have a, a lake, a swan, an egg. Anybody else? Water with fire swirling around it. Okay, so Richard saw Adam and Cheryl glowing together, right? Okay, anybody else? Herd of buffalo in a corral. Okay, anybody else? You saw a lion? Okay. Any uh, Anybody else on Zoom? Larry? A funnel and a trumpet. A funnel? Stuff was coming in the funnel, and notes and words were coming out of the trumpet. Okay. Anybody else? I saw a rainbow. A rainbow. Goes with the unicorn. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now... You could sit here right now and doubt every single one of these things. But why would you do that when our Father wants to give us good things? He wants to talk to us. He wants to be involved in our lives. There are some of you that heard words here, and you got something more in your head or your heart. Because God's speaking to us. And honestly, I feel like when we, we have words like hope, when we have words like unicorn, we could dismiss the unicorn, right? Because, well, that's a unicorn. But you know what? There is, is something so fascinating about unicorns, right? What, what, why would, why would God show you a picture of a unicorn? Well, there's a reason for that. So if you will, you know, if you will take that part of your spirit and just be okay with that, he's going to speak to you more and more and more. He's going to give you pictures. He's going to give you words. He's going to give you visions. He's going to give you dreams. He's going to give you letters where you're sitting there. And my husband does this. He journals pretty much every morning. And he, you know, dear God. Hello, son. You know, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing thing if we will if we will do it. I do not journal. Um, I just like keep myself open to the Lord all the time. 
that's not to say that people that journal don't do that. Please don't misunderstand me. But I, you know, I'm constantly talking to God. And, and so don't be afraid of these things because what Adam is saying is absolutely right on. God wants relationship. What Amy was saying through the computer languages and stuff, there's a relationship to have. And it can be as simple as the first language of computer to the most complicated language of computer. And we all walk in it because God wants to talk to us. Do any of you have any questions for? If you do write it down, though, I will say that uh, it can be an enormous faith builder and an encouragement to go back and read what he's told you. Because in my mind, the negative memories always become outlandishly big compared to all the amazing things God has done. Um, so that that is one blessing of it, because I've got a, a very depressed corner of my closet where there's a bunch of prayer journals of all my problems with nothing written back. And I prefer to read the blessings he speaks over me when I talk with him. So, any questions for Adam? Any? Yes. Sure. First of all, I really like what you shared. I can really see that you've been searching and you've been finding. So I think that's terrific. Uh, we're all doing that. We're all on that journey, right? And uh, when you talked about journaling. Uh, one thing that Meg did and and I both did is we would pray in the Spirit. We would pray in the Spirit for a period of time, and we would journal down what the Spirit was saying to us. And then the two of us would get together and then just share what the Lord was sharing with each of us and how that matched up with where we were in our lives, what he wanted to speak to either one of us or both of us. And, and that was uh, real refreshing to do that. So, And the other thing is um, just encouraging uh, families and couples, of course, to be praying together. You know, that's the most intimate thing that you can do as a couple. And uh, Meg and I got away from that for a little bit. And But for the last few months now, we've been praying. It's the first thing we do when we wake up. You just pray and ask the Lord to bless our day. And we'll pray and ask him to, you know, there's a lot of people that have uh, healing needs. So we'll go through the whole list of people that have healing needs, pray for our church and for our family. But, yeah, that was really good, Adam. Thank you for being intimate. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else? Questions, comments, thoughts? Yeah. I just think hearing God is like one of the most incredible things that we get to do. And um, so thanks for, yeah, just sharing your story and opening that up and reminding us that he wants to speak to us. Um, and I guess I would more just a comment for people that are on this same journey, if I may, is... Um, yeah, we don't have to be afraid um, of getting it wrong because the main thing, I, I think there's two main things to think about as we're hearing and as we're trying to discern, you know, Lord, was that you, not you? Really, the more you know his nature of being good, then it's easier to block out those things that would be a condemning 
harsh, uh, abusive kind of thing that you heard because there's an enemy that speaks to. But God our Father is not that voice. And so that's one of the filters that I've learned over time. And then certainly his word, his written word for us is a, is another filter. Like you said, you know, if he told you to go eat somebody or, you know, go murder somebody or whatever. Plenty of people blame God for crazy things that they do that had nothing to do with God, with what God told them to do because he's not going to contradict his nature or his word. So I just wanted to share those filters that's helped me in my journey. And when you have those um, kind of guidelines, I guess, it's a, it's, it's a pretty wide open road, but it keeps us safe and it keeps us just in a... Yeah, in a in a good place of hearing and building our confidence. You'll have to come to the mic. <laughs> you have to come to the mic. Richard, you coming to the mic? You're gonna wait? Come on. He's gonna let you talk first. And your name is I'm Nora. Nora. Hi, thank you. Um, I don't know how much time there's left, but I was wondering, Adam, if you could share um one of your favorite visions, or maybe just something, whatever God puts in your heart, uh, I would just love, love to hear it, if you want to share. Okay. So, uh, one of the the favorite visions that I've I've received actually was uh, last week. Um, I was a, uh, I'm I I do morning devotions. I go out and listen to instrumental music and and pray, and I could just feel God's love and his, his excitement to have this time with me practically as soon as I sat down, which was, that doesn't, I don't always tangibly feel that, but that, that did, and it was huge. And then, um, so I asked him to, to show me what he had for me. And so frequently, frequently where I will, will see in, in my mind, and I think I'll caveat this with, he does use images that have meaning to us. He speaks our language, our interpretation. So, uh, you know, I, I I suddenly was outside of a heavenly city and and saw this in my heart. Uh, and then he and I was there with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he said he was going to to take me to to ride the borders. And so the Holy Spirit was kind of ethereal, kind of like a cloud, and enveloped, wrapped around me and Jesus, and took us to the edge of this this meadow that was a there was a huge chasm on the edge of this meadow incredibly deep you could see another side you could see mountains and plains and meadows and he took us there and then in the meadow there was this bound man this bound bearded man lying there and we set him free we 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 set him free and he was he looked a little bit like Jesus then inside the chasm we could see this gigantic, angry, sad toddler baby that was breaking all of the bridges that were being built across this chasm. And I saw that the, the baby and the, and the man who was the builder building these bridges both looked a little bit like Jesus. And I asked Holy Spirit, just tell me, what was the, what was the sign here? And he said that uh, he, he explained to me that what I was seeing, the message for me, was that the the bound man was my true identity as a son. 
in Christ was bound up, but all of my faith and belief of myself as a victim, as a as an angry person, a destructive person, was this gigantic, oversized, like think of the hundred foot baby, kind of like the fifty foot woman old movies, that was destroying these bridges to expand what God had for me. Um, and so Jesus grew to a proportionately larger size size of that of that child, that baby and welcomed it in. It ran at him to hit him and just got enveloped in the robe and in the arms and just received comfort and love. And Holy Spirit uh, swirled around this, this gigantic, unhappy child. And the child disappeared, and that power of the Holy Spirit, the same power I'd seen crackling in Jesus' eyes earlier in the vision, flooded into the builder's son. And the builder's son took his hammer and with a single stroke was able to make these bridges shoot across the chasm and draw the edges of this chasm together, this healing to bring the land united. And Jesus turned to look to me and talk to me and said that, you know, the he says, you are not ye of little faith. You know, you have my faith. You know, where you apply your worship and your faith is where what you grow and what you feed and what becomes stronger and told me that uh, worship me, apply your my faith to me, and we will build this world together, which was enormously impactful to me because I've always thought of myself as being faithless. But I don't think I'm faithless. I think I've been putting my faith in the wrong place. And in that way, I've been reaping what I sowed. And it was, it was enormously impactful to me to see this. And um, there was images there that might have more meaning to me than others. But that's one of my favorite visions. I shared it with uh, with Cheryl to see if that resonated with Holy Spirit and her. I shared it with Bo as well. He's one of my trusted uh, advisors, a really good friend, to see to make sure it wasn't just, uh, I've always been afraid, what if it's just bad pizza? Um, it was not bad pizza. <laughs> Holy Spirit does speak. But uh, Larry? Yeah, I just wanted to say what you said about uh, the scripture, the way you cast that, the words you used, the way you narrated that little part of it. Scripture's not going anywhere, and it is not in any way devalued by us growing into and receiving the personal aspect of our communication, our relationship. I thought it was beautifully stated. Dan? Dan? I mean, Amy talked about the different various languages, and I'm also a programmer. There's both a personal preference, but each one also has specific needs and applications and purposes. And even in human languages, there's different ideas and metaphors and understandings and so forth. You know, even the mindset of Hebrew versus English, there's a different, you actually think differently in the different languages. And I even want to connect that to what Adam said is when he got to the discussion on, um, you know, finger painting versus talking. It's like each of those is an expression and a language in a way to start to understand something. And so if we can start to, uh, you know, we were never great at a language starting out, you know. So if we can start stepping into new ways to express, understand, and hear God, whether it's pictures, drawings, words, 
uh, colors, shapes, uh, entire visions. It's like start stepping into them and lean into them. And then God's going to give you an entirely new way to think and to understand and have new tools to solve new things. Absolutely. I, uh, I just want to act on what I saw. So Cheryl, could you come up? And uh, anybody that would like to join, I just saw, you know, and then you start telling this vision. <laughs> I go, that's prophecy, brother. And I, and I see the prophecy on, on your life. And I see that th this is something the, the two of you, uh, God wants to move through you and be forth and coming forth into the body, bringing forth those things that God is giving to you to, to edify the body. I just see that on you. And I see that God is really, uh, anointing you in that situation. And he wants to uh, develop that between the two of you as you share once another, one to another. I just see a, a, a tremendous union there, and I just see some mighty things happening in your life. Uh, God's hand is upon you. You don't have to doubt that. Uh, he is upon you. He is working through you. He's, he's wanting to uh, develop you and to bring you forth. And I just see um, just uh, a lot of things coming your way in the things of God and opening up your life to spiritual things, to uh, spiritual moving of the Spirit, seeing in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, uh, ministering to the body, and, and I, I just command fear to go right now in the name of Jesus. And I can command encouragement to come right now in Jesus' name, to build up right now, Father, in this couple, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. Just bring your anointed upon them, Father, and this union upon them, Father. In Jesus' name, we just give you praise, Lord, for what you're doing in their lives, for, for their children, Father. I just see mighty things happening with this family. I'm so excited. Hallelujah. I'm so excited from what I, I just see in the spirit of what God wants to do in this family. Hallelujah. And I just give you praise that we can be a part of this. Hallelujah. Anybody else wants to... Um, something that um, I love to talk about is in Zephaniah. When Zephaniah is standing there before the two angels with, I think it's King Josiah, he says, put a turban on him. And the angels turn and look, and they put a turban on Josiah. These are the kinds of encounters that you guys are going to have with God. You're going to hear God say something, and and I mean you're going to say you're going to see these visions, and God's going to allow you to say something like that. Put a turban on him, and God's going to do it. And so don't be afraid of that because that seems very way out there, right? But the reality is, is it's all over in Scripture. And so be, just be prepared for that. There, you know, there's dynamics in, in these encounters that we have with God. And, you know, just even the idea of, you know, purify my lips, you know, all those kinds of encounters. And so... Um, I just see your intentionality being honored by God to be able to walk into some of these things that people are afraid of, but because your intentionality and you guys are really grounded, 
you're going to help lead other people into that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for you guys. Anybody else? I just want to encourage you both in your one flesh ministry to each other and with each other. You know, I, I believe God has a real plan on your lives. And, and look at it as one flesh ministry, okay? He's stepping out on you right now, but he stepped out on you. Step together, okay? Adam, you was approached me a while back about ascensions, okay? Everything you described is what happens in an ascension. So you are ascending, brother. <laughs> you just weren't calling it that. Some people call it contemplative prayer or praying in the spirit, whatever, but you were ascending, okay? So don't be afraid of the terminology. If you ever want to join, you know, the church has a couple per week, and you're welcome to join us anytime. But I encourage you both, and you have a wonderful family, and just be blessed in that, okay? Yeah. I just want to, just the spirit of boldness on you too, that you can come forth in boldness and not be afraid of, well, is this, is, did I really hear from you, God? Did I really hear from you, Lord? I know I heard from you yesterday, but did I hear you from right now? Because that's what happens. You just step out and give it, okay? And see what happens. Let God, let God do the rest. And this is the perfect place, the perfect place to learn that, okay? Hallelujah. Bless you guys. That the unicorn that I saw was really powerful. Like it was charging and it was like muscular and it was strong and it, there was rainbow, there was a rainbow like, it was hard to understand what it was, but there was a rainbow image like flowing with it. And a unicorn is very unique. Obviously, we talk about like the the unicorn, like the, the strangest thing you never thought of, but it's so magical and mystical and beautiful. Um, but I think that represents some part of you that is charging through, you know what I mean? And, and the, the thing that you bring, you got the horn, the horn represents power, and the uniqueness of the unicorn represents something like the things that God gives you, you know what I mean? Like that vision you just shared is amazing. I mean, and it speaks to everybody. Kyle Lee, dude, like every one of us has some kind of thing like that trying to prevent us from connecting to the celestial city on a daily basis, you know, and living from heaven here now. And I don't know, I just think that that unicorn image that I had is just really like a strong encouragement to something that you're walking in already, and that is helping you push through the barriers that have been holding you back for so many years, um, and has to do with the courage that he's releasing over you and the, you know, the things that God wants to push you through, like the momentum's already there. You know what I mean? I feel like it was it was running fast and hard, and it was like unstoppable, you know. And the unique things that you'll get are going to be amazing, like a unicorn. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Adam. It was a wonderful uh, testimony. Hallelujah.